I got a call last night. I guess Cliff, I don't know what he's got, flu or whatever it is. I had it two weeks ago, and if he's as sick as I am, I wanted to crawl in the hole and die. Uh, so we uh, definitely need to be praying. How many of you have had the flu this year? You know, I got the full-blown shot. All of, I got the quad, you know, and, so then it still didn't do me a bit of good this year. But uh, fortunately, I don't get it often. But I got it. I had it bad. In fact, I still am trying to get back from it. So anyway, they called me last night, and Dave, David said, hey, is there anything you could do to teach the class this morning? And I said, I am certain that there is something that we can come up with to talk about this morning. And I pulled out a piece that uh, I have done before on the Lord's Prayer. And the interesting thing is, la I looked last time I taught it with the class, it was, it was supposed to be maybe a one-week class. I ended up taking three weeks. Well, you're going to get it all in one. But, you know, I figured since you guys are under Cliff all the time, nobody speaks any faster than he does. I have no idea how you guys could possibly take notes, and I am so glad I don't have him for a professor to have to try to take notes that fast. I used to have a professor that could write with both hands. I'm an engineer. This was a high-level mathematics class. He could write the theorem with one hand and the example problem with the other. We could not keep up, so we would split. We would pair up, and one guy would take notes on his left hand, and the other guy would take notes on his right hand. So I've seen worse than Cliff before. Let's, uh, let's pray just real quick. Lord, settle our hearts, open our minds, Help us to truly see what you want us to see today in your word. Help us to take these words and not just be hearers of the word, but doers also, to go out and be ambassadors for you, to make a difference in the world. We'll give you all the praise and the glory and all God's people said. Amen. All right. So, interestingly, if you notice on the note pages there, and again, um, if I don't Get quite get through all of them or we miss a couple of things there's some scripture verses I give you some extra material that you can look up so those of you who are willing to do so this is a lesson that I would encourage you to go back and think about some more this is one you need to ponder on don't believe everything that I say up here dig into the scripture yourself I think it's that important a lesson because if we're not careful What's our thinking when we hear the Lord's Prayer? We're able to simply, somebody says, well, let's say the Lord's Prayer, and we all <laughs> recite it quite nicely, right? And those things become automatic, and we don't think about what we're saying, nor do we think about why it's there, or we put huge importance in those words, like that prayer is some magical holy prayer that's going to make this huge difference, and it's not that at all. That's not what Christ did, so that's what we want to talk about. And if you notice at the top there, I asked the question, how many of you miss many meals? How many of you make sure you get at least three a day? <laughs> how many of you take more than three a day? <laughs> how many of you have a spouse that says you shouldn't take more than three a day? You know, we're real good on the physical side. Our stomach growls. We go, boy, we're hungry. And we take care of the physical side, but the spiritual side ought to growl just as strongly. And we ought to realize that we need daily an input with the Lord in our spiritual intake. And part of that is prayer. So we need to recognize what is prayer, what's it look like, what's it feel like, how did Christ model it, so that when we go out day by day, we can feed ourselves appropriately. Amen? 
That's our, this is really the objective today is to make sure that we walk away saying, how do we get ourselves spiritually fed? So if somebody would look up Luke 11, we're actually going to do the Lord's Prayer from Luke and not from Matthew where it's normally done. I need somebody to read, though, Luke 11 and uh, read verses 1 to 4. We'll start with just verses 1 to 4. Luke 11. Somebody who's got that? <clears throat> Okay, this is in Luke 11, and you go, well, that sounds kind of about right, but it doesn't quite sound like maybe what we say when we're saying the Lord's Prayer, right? Anybody think that is, is and by the way, I'll walk out in the middle of you. I'm not one to stand totally up front all the time, but the important thing is to realize in the context what was going on here. This is something that you'll miss if you don't look at the Scriptures a little more closely. By the way, on that, on that top end piece, if you notice, I gave you a uh, Scripture there, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. You guys all know this. It says, rejoice always. What's the next piece? And again, I no, no, this is not again I say rejoice. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing in all things. Give thanks, you know, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of Christ Jesus, okay? Anyway, this, this concept of pray without ceasing is stated several different times, but it's just a reminder we're supposed to be praying. We don't have to be reminded to eat constantly, do we? But we have to be reminded to pray constantly. I don't see a lot of scriptures saying be sure to eat today, you know. But in any case, I want you to realize what was the time period of Luke 11? When were we within Christ's ministry. Where were we? Were we at the beginning, at the middle, or at the end? Where were we? Anybody know? Based on Luke 11? We were, how many think the beginning? How many think the middle? How many think the end? How many don't know for sure? That's why we're here. That's why we're here. This was the end. This is, he's on the way to Jerusalem. He's on the way to the final supper. This is the end. There has been a time when, well, in fact, we'll talk about it here in a minute, but he's at the end here, and yet the, the Lord's Prayer that we say occurs in what gospel? Matthew. And it's in Matthew 6. And what was Matthew 5, 6, and 7? The Sermon on the, on the Mount. When was that given in his ministry? Right at the... Beginning. That was at the beginning, Sermon on the Mount. That's when he's really laying it out. You know, he's saying, here's what it is. So he's three years previous to this, given the Lord's Prayer, as we know it in Matthew 6. And yet, we're going along. We've been three years. They've been watching him all this time. And the disciples come to him, and they say, one day Jesus was praying. When he finished, one of the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray like John did. Now, Jesus could have said what? Like we do to our kids sometimes. I've already told you this a uh, hundred times. I've already told you, hey, he could have. And we do that. But instead he said, let me show you. Our Father, who art in heaven. And what would they have thought? Hmm. I think we've heard this before. So what it tells me is that 
it's all about the themes in here that Christ was trying to model, not about the exact words. Because the words aren't quite as exact. There's some things different than Matthew, right? But the themes are exactly the same. So Christ is saying, just as any good teacher would say, just as Cliff does to you guys all the time, he goes, let me tell you again what I've told you before. You know, there's certain things that Cliff likes to repeat, right? There's just certain themes that he has in his teaching that he goes, I want to make sure you know this. And if you're under him long enough, he starts to say something and you go, man, I can finish that sentence for you. I've heard you say that a hundred times before. This is the same way. So they're looking for some magical formula. But in fact, what they're getting is the same thing they've heard before. Does that make sense? I think you need to see that in context here. Or you think that this Lord's Prayer has got some magical, mystical thing about it. And it doesn't. He's going, there's some themes here. When you pray, you need to think about those themes. So that's what we want to do here. Um, so in your first note there, by the way, here's a question for you. They would have seen three years worth of Christ praying. What other times up to this point have we seen Christ praying? What other situations can come to mind that you go Christ prayed during this time? Good. So just yell them out. What do you got? In the garden. Garden of Gethsemane. It hasn't happened yet. That's coming after this, but he prayed, certainly. Yes, what else? Transfiguration. The Mount of Transfiguration. He went up and prayed. And when he prayed that time, we got to see the glory come out. I mean, you know, you talk about what the glory is going to look like in us when we get to have some of that glory of the Lord when we become more like Christ. We're going to shine like he did. I mean, that's what it was a manifestation of. What else? What's that? Feeding the 5,000. He prayed to say, thank you, Lord, for this that you supplied to us. Modeling, we ought to be thankful for the physical needs. What else? Anybody think of something else? When he called his disciples, he went to prayer. Because he recognized he was not the one doing the choosing. Who chose the disciples? God the Father. God the Father chose the disciples, not God the Son. Because later he says, he says, and not in this piece, but in the in, in the upper room discourse. You know, they have the uh, you have the upper room discourse, which is after the 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 uh, Last Supper, and he discusses all these things with him, and he has this high priestly prayer. We're teaching this in another class right at the moment, but this high priestly prayer, he talks about the fact that yes, Father, I want to thank you for the disciples that you gave to me for these twelve or for these eleven, because Judas was gone by then that you've given to me. So that was there. There's another interesting time he prayed. He prayed at the time that John baptized him. The time that the Holy Spirit came down upon him, he was praying. So, and they also saw, there's some notes in here, maybe we'll get to them, that say he went off to pray. He was right in the middle of ministry. I mean, he was hot and heavy, healing people, doing all the things you think. Man, he was really at it. And when you're really hot with ministry, what should you be doing? You'd think, boy, I need to be right in the middle doing more, right? Instead, he withdrew. It says he withdrew to have prayer time. Got away from everybody. So again, modeling. So they've seen this. These 11, these 12 are 12 still here now. They've seen this very closely. And it's not just the 12 that he's traveling with. We're going to talk about this. But with him, just previous to this, in Luke, he had sent out the 72. Do you remember when it says he sent out the 72 in Paris? And he wanted them to go out and practice their disciple, you know, practice their ministry? And those 72 have come back, 
and they're part of this group. And there's also a large group of women with them because they're doing a lot, they're a lot of supply chain. They're helping keep this whole group going. So there's a big group of people. They're all seeing this together. Although again, he's intimate with his, with his 12 and he's really intimate with Peter, James, and John, you know those three. But I want you to realize again, what's going on here is all about modeling. It's not about specifics. So first notes there, let's see, uh, Jesus prayer, have a method and a structure, a method and a structure. So, again, he's very specific. You hear this over and over. We've seen it twice. We've seen it in Matthew and Luke. I am sure he did it multiple times in his ministry. And then number two there, exact wording is not as important as general pattern and emphasis. How do we know that? Because the wording's a little different than Matthew. They would have heard this a little differently each time. They would have caught some of the patterns, you know, the teacher doesn't give it exactly the same way because what he's not trying to teach us is a rote prayer. It's okay to say it in rote as we do, but we, whenever you say, when you guys go away from here today, whenever you say the Lord's Prayer, I don't want you to ever just say it again. I want you to think about the themes and say, what theme is God laying on my heart today within this prayer? We're going to talk about those themes here. But I want you to walk away and say, I'll never think about the Lord's Prayer as just a rote piece to say again. Amen? That's really an objective for me, for you guys to go away. Um, so, let's look at the themes. Let's jump into the themes. Our Father. The Father there, again, the, the challenge with English versus the group. Everybody know why the Greek was so important as a language, why it's so interesting to see how God had worked out this Greek language ahead of the New Testament time. Everybody, what's, what's unusual about the Greek language? Where did it come from, by the way? Where did the Greek language come from that, that they had at that time? It came from Alexander the Great, having conquered the known world, and it had, he had spread his army so far. He was concerned because when you're in battle, what's one of the most important things? Communication. And you want it to not be wrong, right? The problem with communication, I tell everybody at work, the problem with communication is the illusion it has been achieved. You hear me say something, and I think you heard the right thing, and you think you heard the right thing, and you go off and do something, and I look at you and go, what were you thinking? Well, this is what you said, and that's not what I said, you know? So the illusion that has been achieved, Alexander wanted to make sure, so he took the Greek language, and he codified it into a single language where every word meant a specific thing. And so when you study in the Greek language, you can go back and look at exactly what was trying to be said when Paul was writing something. Now the challenge is, is when we put it over to English, a lot of the words get translated back to our same, because we have words that mean multiple things, right? That's the case here. When we say father here, we're not talking about the Abba father, the daddy type of father that you see in some of the language when you see the father. The father here is pater, P-A-T-E-R, pater. And pater here is the concept of creator. This is the Lord God creator, like as in Genesis 1-1. God, what? Genesis 1-1. God created the heavens and the earth. That's what's discussed here. So um, this is the heavenly father, the creator of the universe. We... Uh, we acknowledge to whom we're speaking by this concept of this theme of 
you are our creator. So when you say our father, you're now going to think about the fact that Christ was trying to model to us, think about who you're talking to. You're talking to the potter. Remember, you're just the clay. You're talking to the creator. You're talking to the sovereign God. So our father, uh, who art, uh, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, that next piece there. And we would, you know, to say hallowed be your name, I used to, I think of the, 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 the little boy who when was asked what he knew about God, he had written down to his teacher. He says, well, his name is, is Howard. And the teacher says, Howard, how do you know that? Because we say, our father, Howard be your name, you know. <laughs> we don't know what hallowed means necessarily. We just lose track of the hallowed. So what does hallowed mean? Holy. And what we're saying there is we're saying the theme that Christ was showing us is we're saying, let your name be holy. May your name be holy. May I hold up your name as always holy. May I never misuse your name. Where have we heard that? Don't misuse the Lord's name. In the Ten Commandments, which commandment? Is it the first five or the second five? First five. All right. See, we got it part way, right? Um, you need to, you, you, and again, you ought to look, you ought to, you ought to understand the commandments pretty well to, to at least recognize when they're coming up thematically. So this concept of let your name be holy is all about the fact that he's restating what is, I think, the, the third commandment. Is it third commandment? Yeah, third commandment. Don't misuse the the name of the, of the Father. So that you'll find that in Exodus in 22? Is that 22, I think? 20 what? 27. 21? What? 20. 20. There you go. What can I say? I didn't look them up before either, so I have to always go through and think about them. But anyway, let your name be holy is what he's trying to tell us to remind us that that commandment is important. So when you say the Lord's Prayer now, you're going to go, ooh, I'm talking to my creator. Ooh, I need to remember that he wants his name to never be misused. I need to be very careful to uphold that name when I'm in conversation, when I'm out about with others, those types of things. That's a theme, right? We're talking about themes here, not specific words. The next piece, your kingdom come. Your, and, and it doesn't say this, although whoever read it, I think, said it. In Luke, it doesn't say your kingdom come, your will be done. It says that in Matthew. So in Luke, we go, oh, we only got your kingdom come. Does that mean we don't want your will to be done? No, it just means he just didn't, that didn't get recorded as this piece. So what is the theme when you look at those two together? That's a commitment to God's sovereign rule. What does it mean to have sovereign rule? <laughs> What's that mean? That means... Who's in charge? It's not me. It's not us. It's not me, you know. It's saying, God, I recognize I am just a steward. I am not in charge of anything in my life. I'm not in charge of my, I mean, you know, you rule over my finances. You rule over my children. You rule over my spouse. You rule over my job. And where did we see it modeled just after this in the garden when Christ said what? 
let this, let this cup pass by me. He was going, I really don't want this. Does that sound like some of our prayers? God, I really don't want this heartache in my life right now. But what did he end it with? But not my will, but thy will be done, right? That's, the, that's what he's trying to show us here. So when you see this concept of your kingdom come, your will be done, think in terms now of not my will, but your will be done. That's what the theme is here. Make sense? Everybody with me on that? Again, we're thinking through the themes of the Lord's Prayer so that we walk away from here never just thinking to say the Lord's Prayer again. What's the next piece? Give us each day our daily bread. And I, I think I give you Philippians 4.13 on this one as an extra piece. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, right? I can do all things. We have to recognize that our physical need that we have, who supplies that? God does. We think that Crest supplies that, you know, that we can go to the store. In fact, if you ask children today, where does money come from, what's the number one answer? No, it's not the bank. They don't know banks. They have no concept of banks, quite frankly. What? ATM. They say... Dad puts a card in or mom puts a card in and money comes back out. So they think their daily bread comes from a card. That's literally what they think. If you don't teach them that this is not the case, that it comes from our Heavenly Father, they will have a misconception. That is a very common theme with children if you, if you ask them today where that comes from. So we're looking at our daily dependence upon God for our essential needs. And it's... I wrote an extra piece here. It's not, God, would you be my safety net if things don't work out okay? That's not what this is saying, but that's the way we act at times. It's an amen or an oh me, you know? It's, we often don't pray until what? Until times get tough. And Christ is trying to show us as a model here, that's never the right idea. We need to pray daily, recognizing that our daily needs are being met only because God the Father is doing it. Not because of our abilities, not because I can go down to the store, not because I got money in the bank. Give us each day our daily bread. And obviously back in those days it would have been even more that way because it's only been recently that we don't live hand to mouth, or you know, yeah, hand to mouth, of trying to get our daily sustenance every day. You know, we're able to store it ahead, put it in the freezer, get what we need. Um, Number, uh, the, the, the fifth one there, forgive us our sins as we also forgive those who sin against us. In the Lord's Prayer given here, did I, did I give you Matthew 6, 14 to 15 as another piece? Matthew 6, 14 to 15 is the only clarifying statement that we know of against this model prayer. And in 14 and 15 it says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. It's the only clarifying statement to say, this is a big deal. I want you to realize how important it is, what we're saying here about sin. Sin in your life, you want it forgiven, you must forgive others. That's what this is all about. Um, I don't even remember what I put on your note here. Let's see. What was the note you're trying to fill in here? 
Recognizing our need to ask for daily forgiveness for our daily sins, Jesus' model prayer is to be a daily guide. Again, recognizing how often do we sin? <laughs> well, I wish it were only every day. <laughs> I'd like to get through the hour, quite frankly, without a wrong thought, wrong action. You know, it... I think as we mature, we begin to recognize how really sinful we are and how subtle it really is that we really, I mean, maybe you've heard Tim Keller say, you know, the concept, you've got to really have a, a strong dose. Truth without love is harshness. In other words, truth, the truth is what? What's the truth about us? We are sinners. You are lost and going to hell. That's the truth. And that's what we used to say 50 years ago from the church pulpit very strongly. Repent, you know, you're going, and without any love behind it, it's so harsh that people can't accept that message. They can't deal with that message. But it's the truth, right? Well, let's go to the other side, because now we're on the side of love. Now the churches want to go, well, you know, if you just love each other, it's all going to work out. No, love without truth is sentimentality, as Keller says. And it just leads to wrong thinking because if you think it's going to all work out you're sadly mistaken the truth is what we are all sinners and we're all going to hell without Christ that's the truth you must give both doses of that equally strong when you discipline your children you're giving them the truth when you finish with the truth when they come just as God disciplines us when, he, when he's disciplining you, when does he stop the discipline? When does he stop it? When we finally go, I submit. I submit. I submit to your hand. I submit to your will. When do we stop the discipline with a child? When he says, I submit. We see that in his brokenness. When he just goes limp. And at that moment, God immediately stops. We immediately stop. And what's God do to us? When we become broken, what's he start doing to us? Putting all the love in. I love you. I love you. I love you unconditionally. I died for you. Do you see this? This truth has to be very strongly given, but it has to be given with love. When we discipline our child, when he becomes broken, we need to immediately stop and go, I love you. I love you unconditionally. When you walk out of the room, you walk out skipping and laughing together like nothing happened. That's the way God does it with us. That's the way... God wants us to handle our forgiveness as a model. We need to forgive others. And when the, the, the truth is that they have wronged us. Amen? The truth is they've hurt us. But if we only give them the truth of that with no love, they're never going to come to Christ. They're never going to see God in us. Because that's not the way God acts. So he says, forgive them. And when you forgive them, that means that you start doing what with them? Not just forgiving them, but loving them. How do they know they're forgiven? Because you start doing nice things. You, does that make sense? That's what Christ wants us to do, is not just say, I forgive you, but it's, I forgive you, and you're going to get such a dose of love from me, it's going to blow you away. That's what he modeled. That's what the Lord's Prayer is all about as a theme. I think we miss that, because it's awful easy to say, oh, I forgive you. Oh, I forgive you. And we walk away, and the person's thinking what? Yeah, right. 
can't tell it by your face, you know. But if you truly forgive them and then love them the way Christ loved the church, they're going to say there is something different about you because I could not do what you're doing. Tell me more. And then we can give them more what? No, more truth. Because now that you, they've, they've gotten this love and it's opened them up to say, tell me more because there's something different. Okay, let me tell you the real truth of the matter is you're a sinner. And we're all going to hell without Christ. And the reason I'm like I am today is because Christ is in my life. It's not me who lives, but Christ who lives in me. That's what you're seeing. And they go, man, whatever it is, I want it. That's the way it's supposed to work, right? That's what this prayer is all about. That's the model there. Okay. Uh, lead us not into temptation. Here's an interesting question for us. By the way, what time do we stop here? I'm so screwed up on the new times. Quarter after, right? But we get a 30-minute buffer, right, Till the next time, so we can go a long time. Does Cliff ever go over? Cliff never goes over, does he? Never. I never see him come out of this room late. All right. Lead us not to temptation. Here's the challenge is who are, who are we praying to here? Who is he? Who is Christ praying to as a model? He's praying to the Father. And it says, lead us not to temptation. But there's a verse in James that says what? God does not tempt us. And so we go... Well, what does this mean then? Why would we pray, lead us not into temptation, if God's not the one that's going to tempt us? So that's why you got to know Scripture in its entirety. And this is one of those where you got to know the Greek word. Perismos is the Greek word of what's given here as the word tempt. And it's P-E, for those of you who want to write down, P-E-I-R-A-S-M-O-S. -E and unlike Cliff, who can, or Terry Fakes, who can read this stuff off in the Scripture, I have to go look it up. You know, it's the good old cheat sheets now that I can look up Greek because I don't know Greek. But, perisimos, and it means temptation or testing or trial. All three words have that meaning within the way perisimos is used. And so there's confusion, or there's not confusion, there's disagreement on exactly what this piece means. Some people want to say, well, it's a request to be preserved in temptation. Okay, in my temptation, preserve me, Lord. Um, I, again, I don't see that in the context here because of the fact that uh, we're so clearly told God doesn't tempt us. Or it could say, give me a way out, like 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that says, no temptation has overcome you except which is common to man. God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but with a temptation will provide a way out so you can stand under it, right? Some people want to say, well, that's what this is all about. It's providing a way out. But again, it says lead us not into. So that doesn't, you know, again, exactly meet. What I think is the most clear-cut piece that this means or that this refers to is 2 Peter 2. Do I give you that? Did I write? Okay, 2 Peter 2, 4 to 9. You need to go look this back up again. But let me read it real quickly. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness. That's not what this is all about. But if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world. And then it skips down to, to seven. And if he rescued righteous Lot, I never felt like Lot was real righteous, but, if he re but he says he is. He rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked in Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, then it says, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. That under trials 
is exactly the same word. And here it's the thought of keep, uh, uh, of lead us not into temptation. Don't lead us into the world's trials. In other words, there's stuff going on because we're, this world is full of a lot of evil. Amen? There's a lot of stuff that's happening because of that. I think this prayer is more protect us from all of the consequences of the evil of this world. You know, don't let me be in a situation where the world's evil sucks me up and I get involved in it or it overwhelms me. That's, I think, a better translation of what to think here. So it's really to say, don't lead me into temptation of something I'm going to do to sin, but don't get me into the world's problems. Make sure I stay out of there. So therefore, the next time you have a flat tire, don't say, why me? Say, thank you, Lord, because there's probably something evil that was getting ready to happen and you had to get my car stopped. Or something happens and we have to go back to the house. We've forgotten something and we go, now we're going to be late. Instead of the spouse saying to the other spouse, why did you do that? Say, it's a good thing because obviously the Lord is preventing us from something evil getting ready to happen in the world. And we just don't recognize it. That's the prayer that Christ is talking about here. I think that's this lead is not to temptation. Anyway, that's one. Uh, by the way, in, in your notes, in our righteousness through Christ, protect us from the world's trials and tribulations. Keep evil from us. If you want to do one thing strongly to pray for your children and your grandchildren, it's to say, Lord, keep evil from my children. Keep evil from my grandchildren. Put a hedge of protection around them. That's what you're praying when you pray that. You're praying the theme of the Lord's Prayer right here. Make sense? How many of you do that? How many pray a hedge of protection around your children and grandchildren? What you're praying is the concept here of lead them not into temptation. Keep them from the world's evil. That's literally what you're doing. All right, and then the last piece here. Yes. When you don't have the notes to fill out. Which note did we miss? Let's see. Uh, where am I? Oh, it gives our daily bread. Recognizing our daily dependence on God for our physical and spiritual needs both. That Philippians 4.13, again, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That all things is not just spiritual, that's also physical. But no, thank you for saying that. I knew that had come up, I'd miss some of these notes. So I'm the same way, I can't stand it when I don't get the notes to fill in, so just yell. All right, and then the last piece, which is not part of this one, but is in Matthew's. It says, but deliver us from the evil one. That's that keep evil from us, okay? So add that in as a piece of Luke within the thematics. Those are the themes that Christ gave us within the Lord's Prayer. It's not about the words. It's about the concepts of what do I want you to pray about. So when you pray now, you can pray things like, God, I want to recognize your sovereignty. I want to recognize that I am the clay. Do you, do you see this? And when you're praying that, what are you praying? You're praying the Lord's Prayer. Do you see? When you pray the theme... That's what God wants us, that's what Christ wanted us to see is the theme. Or to say, I recognize you're the creator. You know, 
Uh, anybody use the ACTS method to pray? The ACTS? Anybody know the ACTS method? What's the first? What's A stand for? Adoration. That adoration is the concept of you're the creator. We're adoring him as being the creator, right? The C is confession. That's saying we recognize we're not sovereign. You are. Lots of different confession pieces in here. The T is thanksgiving. That's give us our, this day our daily bread, right? Thanking him for bringing our physical and spiritual needs. And then the S to remind us that's the last thing we should pray for is the supplication, okay? But does, do you see how that's kind of neat because it fits into these themes? I want you to go away now and say, I can pray differently. I can pray that doesn't sound exactly like the Lord's Prayer, and yet I'm praying the Lord's Prayer. And think about, when I'm praying for this, am I praying a theme of the Lord's Prayer? Yes, then I'm right in God's will because Christ said this is a way to model it. Um, all right, so to finish this up, our responsibility, Luke 11, 5 to 10. Somebody want to read that real quickly, Luke 5 to 10. Uh, in Luke 11, chapter 11. And we got verses 5 to 10. You know, we, we, we want to think of this as a salvation. This is not about salvation. That's not what this verse is about. And if you go back and look at verse 8, that, that word that you tripped over, who else has a different word that was that word? But because of your shameless audacity audacity i think is a better word we understand audacity much better what does it mean to be shameless audacity what's another way to say that brazen bold right you know i can't believe you came over at midnight i was asleep for three hours what are you thinking go away but you're so brazen what do you do you just keep pounding at the door well so here's what we learned from that A prayer must be expressed. A prayer must be expressed. If you don't say it, the answer is no, because there's, it's like a putt hit too short will not go in the hole ever, you know. Uh, a prayer must be expressed. James 4.2 says, You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Or Philippians 4.6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything in... Prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known. We must recognize that we've got to ask. This neighbor, had he not gone over, what would he have received? Nothing, okay? And remember, Jesus is talking. This is important stuff because it's coming to the end of his ministry. Uh, a prayer that, number two there, a prayer must be expressed, not just expressed, but expressed boldly boldly audaciously or you know whatever but boldly shameless audacity the neighbor gets the bread not because of his friendship but because of the audacity of his neighbor to come and just keep beating on his door he finds says okay i'll get rid of you and he goes i want you to come that way i want you to to come to me that boldly saying lord i know this is in your will i've thought about you know it's that come to me boldly he's trying to get us to be bold marty talked in the first service you know about the fact that we need to be bold in thinking through, you know, well, if we have a hopeless situation, we need to boldly say, no, God is here. God can get me through this. Um, and then that third one, a prayer, oh, no, yeah, third one, a prayer must be expressed repeatedly, but not repetitiously. There's a difference between repeatedly and repetitiously, because we think about, oh, 
uh, here, Matthew 6, 7, and I'll give you several. You can look the others up. And when you pray, do not heap up empty praises as the Gentiles do. Babbling. There are many words, you know. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. God already knows the, the prayer request. But don't miss this concept. God wants us to bring the prayer to Him often. So, we're going through the day, and we're thinking about a friend who's in need. And we go, God, I want to remember Bob. You know what, the, you know what his need is? I want you to remember him. And God says, just one time, that's all I need. Just come to me. And now an hour passes by, and we're driving down the road, or we're in our office. And it just comes to us again, and we go, God, remember, I'm really still thinking about Bob. Okay, that's all right. I've, I've got it again. Do you see the difference? He wants us to come repeatedly, but not when we come. Oh, I need to pray about Bob. But remember, it's Bob. Don't forget now. God goes, I don't need this babbling. I just need you because what I, this is not for my benefit, remember. This is not for God's benefit. He knows it. This is for our benefit. It keeps us in our mind that we're lifting it up, that the source of our power is not us. The source of the power is not the world to fix it. God, if you don't intervene, it won't happen. If you choose not to intervene, we accept that. In other words, if you choose not to heal, as an example, if Bob's sick, we accept that. But I'm still going to pray. David prayed for his sick son until what happened? Until he died. And then he gets up and does what? He says, let's party. Because he recognized God had answered the prayer. He was praying for an answer. He was praying that God would save. God didn't. David said, just as, as Job said, Lord giveth and Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Did you, do you see this? So that's a big deal here. I, that's something that I had to think about myself. And then lastly, I say a prayer must be expressed with the right motives, with the right motives. Going back to Luke 11 too, he said to them, when you pray, say, Follow, uh, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Whose will be done? If you go away with one thing today, think about the fact that it's not about me. It's all about God. I got to have the right motives. You need to think through, am I praying this for my own motives, or am I praying this to advance the kingdom? It's all, it, the motives are the tough thing, right? Only All a man's ways seem right to him, but the Lord does what? Weighs the heart. We can hide it from everybody else. We can't hide it from God. We really have to look inward to say, what's our motive? All right, um, there's some other verses I'll let you go back and look at on your own. Uh, but the last piece here, somebody read verses 11 to 13, and we'll end with this. Somebody read verses 11 to 13. Luke 11. So it's interesting. God, Christ has given us this model, these same themes that he's been given all along. He gives us this little extra piece here about the neighbor to say, go in, be bold. God wants to hear it. Don't be repetitious, but be repeated. Come back often. God wants to hear from you. It's all about daily, right? It's not about this formalized, like you see somebody, you know, go into your closet. Be quiet, go, again, closet is, is, is a metaphor. Uh, some go into their closet, but it could be you're just driving down your car. But don't let the rest of the world know you're praying. You know, when you're sitting at your desk, just be quiet. Just bring it up before the Lord. Don't let somebody else see it. But he goes, at the end here, he foreshadows something. It's awfully easy to miss. What's he foreshadowing that they don't even know about yet? The Holy Spirit. Foreshadowing the God, the Father's gift of the Holy Spirit from Acts 2.38 when the Holy Spirit comes. And uh, what, 
what we recognize is Christ saying, you think you give good gifts to your sons here. Wait till you see what my father is about to give you. And we recognize that today in retrospect because when we come to Christ, what automatically happens? Behold, all things are new. It's not new that we're changed, that all our bad is taken out. We've still got sin in us, right? But what's the new? What's added on? The Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit. We now, you know, true freedom, freedom is not the right to do what you want to do. That's what they believe in the United States today. We all believe that we have the right to do something, right? True freedom is not the right to do what you want to do. True freedom is having the power to do what you ought to do. And we have been given that power by the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is hugely freeing. We now have something the rest of the world can't. They're slaves to sin. We're now slaves to righteousness. We should pray with structure, with expectations, with persistence, and with a right heart attitude. Learning to pray is a central part of worshiping God and being a disciple of Jesus Christ. It takes effort. God loves us, but does not force himself upon us. Any thoughts before we end it? Questions? We, yes, ma'am. Uh-huh. Potter. Potter? No, that's P-O-T-T-E-R. That's, yeah, no. Potter is, is the Greek word from the text, but not the same. Potter here is a, is, a, is a, yeah, that's a good question. No, it just happens to sound the same. Good question. Anything else? Let's, let's end it in prayer. Lord, we are thankful that you gave us this model. Help us to never just say it and wrote again without thinking about the themes. Help us to go out daily in our own prayer life to now begin to pray around those themes, to recognize what we're praying and how that fits into those themes. And more than that, help us to praise you for the gift of the Holy Spirit because we now have the power to do what we ought to do. Help us to go out and be your eyes and your witness and your, your outward appearance so that when people see us, they see Christ. And they say, tell us more. We can give them more truth, and we can give it to them with love. And all God's people said, amen, amen.